very excited about the fan over here, by the way. Is anybody else hot still? I mean, I'm a full-figured guy, so the temperature in general is already a problem for me. Um, okay, so I survived the marathon. We're done, we're done talking about that. Um, Hebrews chapter 4. Hey, so if you're, um, if you're new here tonight, uh, thanks for coming, and uh, glad you could make it. If uh, you get a chance, we're going to hand out some cards in a minute to um, fill out your email address. If you'd like to stay in touch with you, the stuff that's going on. Um, if you are uh, joining us via the web, either now or later, we are a group that we get together, we study the Word, and as the Word goes through us, it gets to do its job. And one of the jobs that we do is we give of our time and our resources, as well as of our money, um, this is a unique thing because I don't get paid. Jeremy doesn't get paid. Uh, nobody gets paid. We just kind of come together and gather. And uh, any money that comes in, we send out immediately into the front lines of the kingdom of feeding the poor and serving those that are in need around the world that cannot provide for themselves. It's been an amazing opportunity to serve the Lord in a way that I've actually only thought about. I never realized was possible. Um, there's nothing for us at all. We get to give it all away. It's amazing. And Jesus said that you have to, you know, he that would lose his life would find it. And we are experiencing that firsthand here. Um, and it's been great. So far, over $20,000 have come through this little band of warriors just straight through. And we're flushing it right through into the front lines of the kingdom. And so, uh, again, this week, kids in Haiti are waking up and having breakfast uh, on us. Um, some folks in Columbia, Tennessee right now are, are being delivered from their addictions to alcohol and drugs because of what we're doing here. So uh, Rwanda, I mean, the list goes on of what's happened. So this is, that's not a pat yourself on the back moment. It's like, wow, this, you know, God really knew what he was talking about, right? So uh, Hebrews 4, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, remember what we see there for in the Bible. You have to go look and see before it to see what it's there for, right? That's the old... Bible college thing, and we just got through studying chapter 3 about Jesus, uh, and it's basically what it's saying is this is all a complete thought from last week to this week, so therefore, since, or two weeks ago, since the promise of entering his arrest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it, for we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because... Those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God said, So I declared on my oath and anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later David, through David he spoke, as was said before, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. 
For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by uh, fall by following their example of disobedience. In verse 12 is a passage we've heard before. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him who we must give account. That's one of those passages that when you're doing the one-year Bible, you kind of breeze through it. It sounds very spiritual and very cool, and it's easy to breeze through it, right? But if you really start to stop for a minute, you're like, well, wait a minute. So you get to enter the rest, you don't get to enter the rest, and I don't understand because I'm kind of tired, and I kind of need to rest, and I need a nap. What, what meanest to these things? I'm going to stand up. It might take a second and some pain. Um, I took a fistful of Advil before coming over here, so I think I'm going to be good in about five minutes. <laughs> the chewable kind. Over there, like, taking hits of my kids at, like, child Motrin, the bubblegum flavor. Like, in shot glass. I just lined them up with salt and a lot. Anyway. Um, <laughs> children's Advil. The rest... That the word is talking about here is something that you and I can have. The promised land in the Old Testament, when Joshua was to take the people across, remember Moses was supposed to take the people of Israel to the promised land, but he wasn't able to. And so Joshua was left to take them in. But the promised land is not, you know, I know the Southern Gospel songs like to make it Beulah land and it's heaven, and, but the picture is actually a picture of the spirit-filled life, of our life as believers on this earth. Because there's giants in the land. There, there was battles and stuff they had to fight. It's just that it was different there because they had provision and they had peace in their hearts and they had the Lord with them. In heaven there won't be any giants. You understand that, right? It'll be us and and it would be peace. But this is not that. This is a rest that you and I have been promised to be able to enter into. And if your Christian walk, if you aren't feeling that, if you're feeling it to be kind of a bummer or a burden, or if it just kind of genuinely sucks, because it's, you know, you got to go to church, you got to get to small group, you got to do your accountability thing, and then there's the one year Bible... You know, you know what I'm saying? If you get sucked into this thing where all of a sudden you feel like you joined a club where if you had, you know, actually we do have dues, right, tides. Uh, you just throw a deck of cards in and you got a bridge club. You know what I mean? It's That wasn't what God meant with us. I mean, if anything, church is just meant for a place for us to go get some marching orders. We gather and kind of refuel and we're on our way again to go impact the world around us. But the beauty of what God has called for us is this. All we have to do is believe. Okay? Faith. They didn't get to go into the promised land according to 319 of Hebrews because of their unbelief. Which freaks me out a little bit because I would have thought it was because of they didn't have any piety, because they weren't reading the word every day, because they weren't praying an hour every morning, because they didn't go to men's group, because they didn't have an accountability partner. But it wasn't any of those things. 
It was that they just didn't believe that God was really that good. He really was that great, that kind, and that merciful that he wanted to bring him into this thing. And because they chose to not believe it, the longest death march in the history of the world began because God said, none of you guys are going in. And can you imagine, lo, about 38 years in, I heard somebody say once, it took uh, three years to get out of Israel, or to get out of Egypt, and 38 years to get Egypt out of them. But they marched around the desert waiting for the last guy to die <laughs> so they could go in. You go, oh, man, Weinberg kicked off yesterday. Man, we got, you know, that's only 2,800 more of them to go. But finally, when the last of them died off due to the unbelief, God sent in this new generation. And for you and for me, it's a really simple principle here. I, I was really dumb about the standing up thing. I don't apologize. I've uh, outpunted my coverage on that. Um, for you and I, that's really all it takes. We want to make it about more. We want to make it about my prayer, about my diligence about my spirituality, about how many times I can read through the Bible. And God just said, look, it's not that. It's about Jesus' prayer for us. About Christ's work on the cross for us. About God's loving kindness and mercy towards us. And as much as I want it to be about me, it's just not. And the beauty of it is, is that once I get that, that from that understanding, that natural worldview change, if you will, from that I have this natural desire all of a sudden that I want to know what the Lord has to say to me, that I want to read the Word, but not because I have to, because I get to. And it isn't because I set my alarm clock at 5 a.m. because I saw in the Bible once that you had to pray early in the morning because David did. It's because I really want to know more about this thing. And it takes a little while, and it takes some patience, and it takes a relationship growing. And you know, that's just how relationships are anyway. And Logan and Amanda, you guys just got married. You love each other a lot. And I'm here to tell you that 13 years later, I love my wife more than I did on that day. It's this bizarre thing that happens. I get to know her better and cooler. and it's, That's the deal. It's this expectancy thing. I used to joke once that when I bought my own, I had this car once that was the the preferred car of elderly men everywhere. Um, and it was. And the thing is, is, old guys know what they're doing, but it was this old man Lexus car that had all these buttons in it that months and months in, I was still learning new things about it. Like, oh, that's cool. I didn't know it did that. It hit a button, this thing comes up in the back window. And I'm like, man, old guys know what they're doing. This is cool. But I got to know more and more about it, and it was like I would get into the car with a sense of expectancy. What will I learn new today about my car? And I know that's a crass example and not very mature, but but it's kind of that way with the Lord, that it's about this expectancy thing that I can enter into this rest with Him. And here's the kicker. You don't even have to have a lot of faith. Jesus said all you need is faith the size of a mustard seed. That's all it took. It wasn't a quantity, it was a quality of faith. Sometimes I think that because I think I had a doubt that I'm blown and I'm out of faith and now God can't move in my life as if it were about me. It only takes me believing just the tiny bit of faith that Jesus says is all we got to have to start this thing out with. And you can relax. 
And I say that because a lot of times we get where the stress comes from, where the workload of the gospel, so to speak, comes from, is that because I didn't get what I thought I was going to get or it didn't work out the way I thought it was going to work out, then I get kind of freaked out by it and I get stressed and then I start praying more because if I pray more, then surely God will move now. If, if it didn't happen the way I thought it would happen, surely it's because I didn't do something right to get it, to earn it. And we don't say earn it, but that's really what it is, right? We can do the semantics all day long, but if I have to do something in order to get something back, then I am earning it, okay? When you see somebody say, for instance, you got to sow a seed to get your need met. Aim your seed at your need. It rhymes and it's kitschy and it's not true. Because then, call it what you want, but you have just purchased a miracle. Right? That's where the Catholic Church went so wrong so many years ago with the buying of indulgences. You could actually make payments ahead of time on your sins to get forgiveness. Now, i got to tell you, back in Bible college, I would have actually been broke if that was the case. Buying ahead of time. But I'm just saying, you don't have to do any of that stuff. When you do tithe, when you do give to the poor, when you do serve your brother or your sister in Christ, when you do tithe to your church, you do it not to get anything. You do it because, man, God, you're so amazing. This is such an unbelievable thing that you're so good that I'm just responding to that. And I want you to know that it's a different way of living. I speak firsthand of this. And I speak firsthand because, I mean, I don't get it right every day. My wife can tell you I don't get it right any day, really. But the fact is that it's different for me than it was 20 years ago when I first came into the faith. Because I can actually rest in this. I don't have to get freaked out. Because I know that, you know what, if I didn't get it today, what I thought that I wanted, what I prayed for, I can know this, that God says that He would withhold no good thing from Him that walks uprightly. If I didn't get it today, it wasn't because I didn't pray hard enough. It's because, you know what? It wasn't a good thing for me that day. It wasn't God's timing. The man that was born blind and Jesus came along and they prayed for him, right? And the big question was, well, why was he born blind? You know, Jesus might have walked by this guy dozens of times. But on that day and in that moment, it was the time. It wasn't because that guy was any holier that day. It wasn't because he was any less holier. It was because it was God's time for God's big picture. And Jesus says it was so that I would, God the Father, would get glory on this day. And I promise you that 2,000 years into heaven, that blind man who probably lived, who knows, anywhere from 15 to 40 years of his life blind, doesn't think, man, that sucked. Lived 40 years blind, man, that blows. No. He's thinking that was awesome because God got maximum glory and here I am in heaven enjoying the rewards that came from that moment. Isn't that day? Do, do you see what I'm saying? If you, if you really, you, you can honestly say you can rest and say, "I prayed for this; it didn't happen." It's because it wasn't God's will for me, and I can be cool with that. With the manchild, the prophet spoke, uh, spoke of the manchild uh, in the Tyler family long ago. That there would come forth a seed. That there would be a stem on the apple of the Tylers. We had a moment where we thought, you know what? I got three daughters. And I had a moment where I finally said, you know what? This is going to be really expensive the way it is. I'm okay with having three daughters. Would I like a son? Absolutely. Because someone who could lift the heavy stuff? 
Absolutely. Someone who can mow the yard, you know, someone who I didn't have to buy an Easter dress for? Absolutely. <laughs> and for our lives, like, I honestly came to the moment where I was like, I'm okay with that. That's great. That's fine. And I meant it. Right? And it wasn't because I prayed, you know, but it was like all of a sudden, there's a boy. God knew what he was doing. And in his timing, in his moment, that was his will for me. But I became okay with it because I believed that God had my best interests in mind. I have a friend who pastors a church and he was, you know, he's been driven so much by the numbers. And he, you know, he's, he, he's in this frustration moment where he kind of talks out of both sides of his mouth where, no, I'm okay with having this, but man, I really would love to have a 3,000 member church. But I'm okay having this. And one day I said, you know, it sounds, you spend so much time talking about the 3,000 people that aren't there. What if you spent all the energy that you're spending on the 3,000 people that aren't there on the 300 people that are there? And just be okay with it. And believe that God has your best interest in mind. If you never get out of the school again. And this amazing thing happened over this period of time. Because then, and I'm not saying that this is, you know, you do this and all of a sudden you get everything you want. I'm not giving you any formulas here. This is just the Holy Spirit moving in you. When you, it's time for you to find your needs. It's so that the Lord will speak in His ways and move in His ways to you. But in His life, the minute He became okay with that, He jumped to 500 people. Because He stopped worried about the other, you know. I mean, it's just, He just became okay with it. You get to rest in it. And I say that because, especially where you guys are in your young lives, you, it's pretty easy to get freaked out because you don't know what God has down the line for you. And it seems, for me, when I was the waiter boy for eight years, I thought, I'm never getting out of here. Ever. <laughs> I'll be a waiter for the rest of my life. I mean, I didn't have any skills. I didn't have a... I kind of went to college, you know. But God had a plan for me, just like He does for you. And I'm just saying in hindsight that I could have I could have saved myself a lot of anguish and not worried about stuff, just knowing that you know what? God's got it taken care of. All I gotta do is worry about today. And what I'm saying for you and for I is this that's the rest that God has promised for you, that He's promised for me. It's not talking about the Sabbath day in particular, okay? And I know that because he's quoting Psalms in here when he says that there's a rest that is coming, okay, for the people of God. And by the time Psalms was written, the Sabbath day rest, that was already taken care of. Genesis is where it started. The law made it official. David's talking about another rest in Psalms. And that rest is for you and for I. They said it this morning in church, and I loved it, that your salvation, your eternal life, I'm sorry, doesn't start when you die. It starts the minute you're born again. That, that was a light bulb moment for me. It was like, oh, right, 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 right. It starts the minute you're born again. Your eternal life, the clock, that's already ticking. Your rest, that's already started. And if you're not enjoying it right now, maybe it's time just to believe that God is who He said He was, that God would do what He said He would do, and just relax. You may not understand it, and use my example of my kids before, they don't understand all the time why I do this or why they can't do that or, but if you understand it like if they would understand that daddy's got their best interest in mind that that's why you can't have a bowl of Skittles for breakfast even though Skittles are very delicious you can't have them for breakfast because it'll make you sick they don't understand we got, look we, we, we're starting to make a policy thing in my house that we can't you can't argue until you can have logic okay and when you're four you don't have logic but Lord, you know, when she's five, she can understand. You know, I mean, she wants to understand. 
in concept she can understand, but she doesn't understand. But she's learning to trust Daddy, and it's taking some time. And you guys just save yourself some some energy and some some exhaustion, and just trust that your Daddy has your best interest in mind, even though you didn't get your skittles today. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay, so let's go on. Let's go back to verse 12. Because this is a passage that has been used in my life to butcher me, to saw off limbs in my life, spiritual limbs, to brutalize me. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now, in the old days, in fact, I remember uh, there was a uh, there was a, a children's church guy that would, he would bring the apple and he'd bring a sword in. Right, this is right after he'd set off the flash paper and make the you know pop some balloons for Jesus. But then he'd bring out the sword and an apple. And he would throw it up in the air, and he would, and we all thought that was just so cool. Uh, he would slice the apple in half in the air with the sword of the spirit, because it was a weapon in your hands, right? And that's in my mind what I had envisioned it as was, okay, there's this sin, you know, it's like some episode of Twenty Four where they're chopping off fingers to make you talk, you know, sing like I would so sing like a canary, by the way. I mean, seriously. I respect, I mean, I don't know votes or whatever, but the fact that John McCain lived for however many years in the Hanoi Hilton, I would have no honor or respect. The minute they stick a piece of bamboo under my fingernails, I'm like, he did it, I swear. <laughs> State's evidence, it was that guy. I don't like pain so much. But when you look at this in the context of the whole, and gang, when you're reading the Bible... Be careful about taking out the little passage that you stick on the mirror and just quoting it, okay? Because oftentimes when you take it out of context, a favorite story of mine is I used to know a guy that would use his, his analogy for the reason that you should dress up to go to church, okay? Was because in Job, it, God told Job to dress up when he came into his presence, okay? And I actually, you know, well, I mean, I'm still not going to do it, but that's an interesting point. <laughs> Until one day I went and read it, and it was actually God mocking Job, saying, look, if you think you're so smart, put your nice clothes on, you come in here and be God for a while. Like, that wasn't, the, it was completely out of context, okay? You've got to understand that this wasn't written with numbers and verses and chapters. It was written as, as words and as thoughts and as complete uh, sermons in one, right? And so when you read this in the context, it's talking about the rest, Okay? The rest that God has promised for you and for I. And in that context, it says that the Word of God is living and active. Saying that, look, Joshua, this story about Joshua, this isn't just some fairy tale. This isn't just the little flannel graph board thing from Sunday school, assuming they had flannel graph. I don't know. But the Greeks probably didn't have flannel graph. They probably had like, people come in and do skits because they were real arty people. They were probably the first ones to do church skits. Satan coming around. <laughs> it's living. This is a real live thing that happened, this Joshua thing. And it's active, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrates, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, saying that it's not about lopping stuff off. It's about surgery. 
It's about a strategic dividing, a delicate cutting of dividing your soul and your spirit. And it's important because of this. And I want you to know that more in our life than ever is it important to bring the word into your deal because we have this thing going on in our world where we say, I've got to be authentic. I've got to be who I am. And this is who God made me to be. So you got to just deal with it. Okay? When you look at this, the soul and the spirit are two different things. And in our lives, a lot of times what we justify as just who I am is that's the soul. It's my mind, my emotions, but it's not the spirit in me. And I've got to have the word of God to be able to tell me who I really am at that point. Because this being authentic thing is great. And I totally agree. And it's like anything in Christianity, you could have what we call the pendulum swing, right? The one side of the pendulum is over here where it's the, okay, I'm perfect. And every example I ever give about myself as a preacher is that I'm, I'm conquering and I live in victory and I'm going home and beating my wife, but I forget to tell you that because that doesn't bring victory. You know, it's the it's the off, and I say that. I mean, that sounds like a regular. You know, I'm saying there's that that side with these guys that live so perfectly, and it's not how they're living. And then on the other side of the pendulum is the I'm just going to live however in the world I want to live, because that's who I really am, and I don't want to be a hypocrite like that guy. So I'm over here being not a hypocrite in my mind, because that's who God made me to be. And both sides are in error. In the middle is the sweet spot. In the middle is, you know what? There are things in my life, just like there are in your life, that I struggle with, that I battle with. But they're not who I am. They're a thing that's a part of my soul. And the Word is where i got to go back to and say, okay, is this who I am? And if the Word says that it's a sin, if the Word says that I shouldn't do this or that or the other, then the Word is where i got to land on. Because the Word is able to divide and say... This is who you really are. This is who God really made me to be. Because the fact of the matter is that you and I as human beings, man, we all got our stuff. We just do. And we can't live a fake life, okay? But by the same token, it may be time that we define hypocrisy for what it really means, not for what we think it means. Because what happens when a guy like Ted Haggard on national television falls, we say, man, what a hypocrite that guy was, right? Right? And if we think that's a, well, he's a hypocrite. When we see somebody who is a, a leader in our society, especially in the, in the Bible area, the biblical foundation, the pastors, the evangelists, we say, man, those guys are hypocrites. And I want you to know that I don't think that's a fair charge. And I don't think so because Jesus referred to hypocrites in a completely different way. And we don't have nearly enough time to get into that, do we? Here's, here's what I'm getting at, okay? And I'm going to land on this one. Say this right. If the true meaning of a hypocrite is to never do anything wrong, then yeah, we should never set any standards for ourselves, ever. Because then we can't fail and we can't be a hypocrite, okay? A hypocrite isn't somebody that stumbles, that falls, that fails. 
A hypocrite is somebody who pretends to be religious. That's Jesus actually used the word. He's the first guy to ever coin the phrase hypocrite. Because in those days, a hypocrite was actually an actor. The Greek, uh, the Romans, when they would have their stage and their theater, their actors were called hypocrites. And Jesus always referred to them as like the far religious Pharisees of the deal. And it wasn't about did they sin or were they having this or that. It was it was in the fact that they were forcing their religion on people, their rules and their regulations and their systems that weren't of the Lord, they weren't of the Father. The folks that stand there, and I say this only to say that the danger of thinking that a hypocrite is somebody that that fell is that you'll never want to set standards for your own self. Because you'll you don't want to set yourself up to fail. And the fact of the matter is, is you and I have to set standards for ourselves. And we set them not out of religion or whatever, but out of our love for the Lord, if this makes sense. And I say this because, I say this specifically because of this. In our world right now, there are specific things that are going on in our own community where folks are saying, you know, my lifestyle, go to Romans 1 with me, my lifestyle is who I am. And what I'm about to say, the, the first half might make you uncomfortable, but hang on with me when I because I'm going to sew it up, okay? Because there's two sides of this coin, okay? But one of the things that we've seen, and I'm using this as an example specifically because you know it's real live in our community. And it's not just in Franklin, it's real live in America. And it's the question of homosexuality. I'm the guy... You might, you know, you've seen people in our community say, yeah, it's just who I am, and I want to live authentically. And I want people to know that I don't want to hide it anymore, and that Jesus loves me just the way I am. And it's important to understand that some of that is true, and some of it is not. The Word of God is sharp, it's powerful, it's active, and it divides the soul and the spirit, Okay. And what I say by that is that if you battle with that particular area, the question you've got to ask yourself with anything, really, is, is it a sin, and how do I deal with it? And when you go to Romans 1, you understand that the question of, is it a sin, is pretty easy. Verse 18, and again, hang with me, okay? Don't, don't turn tune me up just yet. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness, the wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, that men are without, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And therefore God gave them. And when he says then, this is about mankind, okay? It isn't a specific them like a group of them. It's them. It's us, okay? History of man. God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things 
rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Now that's a passage of scripture that when you're thinking in the inside of you, is this who I really am? I want to live authentically. And you go to the Word and think, you know, on my soul, that's a battle that you might be having. But it's a soul thing. It's not a spirit thing. It's not who God made you to be. Now, I want you to know that I'm not stupid. I've been around for a while. Maybe I am. But I've been around a long time. And I know that people don't necessarily willingly, and you know, they battle this thing inside of them. It's a struggle with them. And you hear guys say, or girls say, I didn't choose to be this way. If I could choose today for it to be gone, it would be gone. And hear me say that, I, you know what, I believe you. I believe that to be true. But I believe that when you read the scripture, you see this phrase a lot where struggle with sin, that I'm struggling. The fact is, is that I have things that I struggle with, okay? That as a man and most men in this room, you were born in a certain way that if you were to quote unquote live authentically, okay, you would be a very busy young boy. Okay? Because that's who you are <laughs> in your soul. Do you know what I'm saying? There are guys that battle with that. There are girls you battle with things too. We don't have to go into the details of this, but it's when you give up the struggle. Struggling with sin. It's when you say, you know what? I give up. This is just who I am. And I'm going to live this way because it's who I am. And I know God loves me just the way I am. That's the part, by the way, that's true. Okay? But what is not true and what is dangerous for that type of a thought process for you and for I is that if we let that go not only into just... And again, it's not just homosexuality because the fact is, is that Paul, in the same passage, and I love this because the guys that run out with bullhorns and signs that God hates fags and screams with bullhorns, it's like they forgot to read the rest of the verse. Because they've become filled with every kind of wickedness. Evil, greed, depravity, they're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They even invent ways of doing evil. We're coming up with new stuff every day. It's America. Never thought of that one. It's called reality television. They, dis they, they, they disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these things, these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. I bring that up because of this. I want to acknowledge for the record, okay, biblically speaking, specifically homosexuality is a sin. If, if, if we use this as our basis for a discussion, God's word, man, it's a sin. And so is faithful, faithless, senseless, ruthless, gossips. Cross-reference your life, okay? You may not have that one, but you got this one, or we got that one. And so the question then is, 
Why is it that we pick that sin as the one that we particularly want to throw rocks at? Why is it that that's the one that I want to get the bullhorn out? Why is it that one that I'm embarrassed to be seen in public with? You, therefore, verse 2, 1 of chapter 2 says, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. I bring this up because, obviously, to not speak cryptically in our community, we've had a young man that's come out in public, and I don't feel bad to say even his name, Azariah. Okay? And I say it because publicly he's been on MySpace, he's on television, he's doing interviews about this particular issue. And so publicly I want to say the biblical response to whether it be Azariah or to any one of the friends, some of you even in this room, I don't know, is that I'm not here to throw rocks at you. I'm just not. Because God just described me in chapter 1. He just described you. He described Azariah. He described RuPaul. 90s reference. Obscure, but 90s nonetheless. He describes us. And we don't get to say that this one is the sin that I'm going to pick up. Okay? And I don't want to be seen in public with you. I'm going to elevate this sin because God just gave them all in the same list. They're all in the same chapter. And I think that in America, where we've really just absolutely blown it when it comes to the churches, our ability to pick and choose the sins that we're going to throw rocks at. I don't know why it is in America and the church that we feel like that we've got to shoot at the hostages. Do you know what I mean? I don't know why I've felt that way for so long. That, ooh, I just, or why I feel like when I'm in the presence of somebody that I know is in a sin that I don't approve of, that I need them to know that I know and that I don't approve. Well, I'm not, you know, look, I, you know, I'm not going to judge you, but, you know. At what moment do we lose our faith in the Lord that he can take care of this stuff and he doesn't need me to be Holy Ghost Jr. running around with my little gavel pronouncing judgment and guilt on people? Guilty. Judge Walker. People's Court. Come on. I have none of them. That's actually an 80s reference. Wow. He made a, re- a re- resurgence, like, on pet planet, but anyway, um, <laughs> Joe Walker judging pets. I don't mean to get off on the bunny trail. I just wanted to end with this thought that God's word is powerful. God's word is real and it can split up in your own mind, your soul, your spirit, for you personally to understand that you've got those issues in your life, I've got those issues in my life, and I want to encourage you to never give up the struggle with those, to always fight them. To go Romans 7 on it, the why do I do the things I don't want to do thing. You know, I'm just going to keep battling it. And also to understand that God will forgive you, period. Man, there are consequences to those sins. And it's why it breaks my heart when I see folks that, that fall into specific sins that are just giving up their struggle. Because, man, there are just consequences of them. Emotional. Health. Things that are just consequences of sin. That's why God hates sin so much. It's not because he's some cosmic buzzkill. He knows what it does to us. It breaks away at us. It chips away at us. And he hates it for that very thing of what it does to us. And for you and for I, 
whether we're in the disobeying of the parents or the faithless or the senseless or the insolent, whatever, you know, again, cross-reference your life. Don't give up the struggle. And if you have, pick it up again. Fight it again. Live to fight another day with it. Because that struggle with that is you constantly, when it talks about in Colossians 3, about killing your sin, that's the word it uses. Kill it. Cut off its life source. Kill it. Fight it. It's an everyday process. It doesn't end. Okay, I'm done today. And for those of you that are around folks that are in sin, that are publicly or whatever, I'm just saying, give them a break. Cut them some slack. Read Romans 2, verse 1. It's not your job anyway. My job isn't even, I loved it this morning, they were talking about it. we got to win souls for Christ. I mean, I'm going to take some pressure off you. God doesn't need you. All right, there's a moment where he's going to fly angels through the atmosphere with the Holy Ghost bullhorn preaching the gospel in the book of Revelation. Okay, He chooses to work through us, no question about it. But you can take the pressure off of this. You don't have to get anyone saved. Our job is just to put it out there, to present it, to live it, to, you know, I loved it today, the idea of the, you know, to taste and see. You know, Peter says to be ready for, to give an answer to anyone who has a question. That means that my life is so curious and so fruit of the Holy Spirit that people actually, it's, it presupposes that I'm doing something that someone has, that want, they want to ask about. And they said this morning, you know, if it was Jamie, the, the journey, we'll see that, uh, if, how long has it been since someone's asked you about your faith? They're asking about, why are you different than, you know, think about that and let it sit for a moment. It's kind of like, hmm. But it presupposes that that's my lifestyle, that I get to live that gospel out. And I don't have to close the deal. It's God's kindness that leads him to repentance. It's going to go on to say in chapter 2. Not his bullhorn, not his sign that God hates bags. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And therefore, it should be our kindness, our love, that leads them to repentance, that leads ourselves to repentance, God's kindness in us. I think that what I love about our little group is that we're kind of in this already. You know, we're kind of, as we just gather here, we don't really have a whole big agenda. We don't have anything expensive, PowerPoint or anything. We're just coming to serve the Lord. And I would just encourage you to let that spill over into your everyday life. If you got somebody in your life that maybe they've been rejected because of a certain life that they've chosen or a certain way that they're living, might I encourage you to maybe give them a call or drop them an email? Just let them know, hey, I love you. Just want you to know. We've seen it firsthand in our lives. We've, we've joking referred to the Tyler house as a halfway house because we've always, for the first half of our marriage, it seemed like there was always somebody living there. And there are moments where even I felt like we were taken advantage of. And I don't want to say that we were just any spiritual or whatever, but we just kind of did it that way. And slowly and surely we see people now that are in the kingdom because we just kind of loved them right where they were. We didn't have any rules that you, you're in my house, you're not going to smoke anymore. You're in my house, you're, you know. Just kind of like, you know, we're living there. They're in, they're in the point of need. I only say that to say that 
I know that we've still got people in our lives that we can be reaching out to. And I know that you guys have people in your life that you can be reaching out to. And, and I'm not, not just people that are living in the homosexual lifestyle. People that, whatever, maybe they're strung out. Or maybe they've walked away from the Lord. Or maybe, I don't know. You, I don't need to tell you who it is. Just let the Lord speak to you in that way. So, Does this make sense? It's too deep, maybe. but Okay, okay let's pray. Father, uh, this is the kind of conversation that can be taken out of context, and I just pray that that it's not. Pray that folks hear my heart, and hopefully, Lord, that I've spoken your heart. I want so much for your kindness to bleed through me, that I might be kind, that I might not be sitting around throwing rocks at everybody else. We're all together in this thing. And we all thank you for your mercy, for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. One last thought. Finish out the chapter when you go home, but you see, therefore, you can go into God's throne room boldly. The throne of grace and of mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy, not getting what you deserve. If we got what we deserved, bad news. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Therefore, because of this, because of the belief, because all we have to do is believe, because of what Christ did, we can go into that throne room boldly. And so I would encourage you that if you've been in that struggle, in, the, in that the, the moment of trying to battle that in your own life, you don't have to sheepishly knock on the door and kind of put the spiritual fig leaf, you know, hey God, it's me, Adam. And he was in the garden anyway. Um, you don't have to do that. That was what it talks about. Everything is laid bare before God. We're all just butt naked in front of God. We don't have to go in embarrassed or ashamed because we have a high priest in Jesus that we're going to talk about next week that suffered just like we did, that was tempted exactly like we were. And the question that we're going to answer next week is, could Jesus have sinned? There's a debate that's raged through the theologians of could Jesus have actually sinned if he wanted to? We're going to talk about that next week, but suffice it to say that your high priest awaits you if you need to go and meet with him tonight. So, okay? Um, as we go, the, the fancy offering buckets are uh, somewhere here. Uh, if you're giving cash, um, please take an offering. I can't even believe we have offering envelopes. It's kind of embarrassing. Um, if you want a tax deduction, so it's not embarrassing. We're being professional, okay? Uh, we actually have somebody uh, named Pam Osmond who's been doing a great job getting our, making sure everything is in order. Um, I still don't know who gives what. It doesn't matter to me. This is all about it, you and the Lord. So those things are there. If you're giving a check, you don't need an envelope. Uh, that'll be taken care of. So again, 100%, it's almost 100% at this point, but like 95% for sure of all the money that comes in here is going right out into the hands of folks that are, uh, that are using it right now. Uh, you saw my email three weeks ago about what's going on with ethanol. It's all of a sudden making front page news now. Like the, the cost of food is just skyrocketing right now around the world. So be in prayer for our brothers and sisters around the world that are hungry tonight. So, okay? God bless you guys. Uh, we'll see you next Sunday night.
I was, we watched it on the TV. Uh, 